Well, love you to have your um, scriptures open this morning. We're going to also have it on the screen. We're looking at Mark 12. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. Always love that. Ta, a little clapping. We're in, the, um, in our series, the Summer in the Scriptures series, and what this means is that we're going to be preaching from some passage that we read last week. So as Matt knows, because he read every day for 14 days, stud, we, are, um, we just read the finished the book of Acts. There was a lot in the book of Acts. How many chapters again in the book of Acts? Yeah, a little quiz. Oh, I heard somebody, 28, nicely done. That's right. Lots of books and uh, chapters in the book of Acts. And then we started Mark and we read like through chapter five yesterday and through 11 today. If you actually did your reading today, it was like six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. There's a lot on a Sunday. I don't have my, that much God in me on a Sunday, I guess. That's a lot. So I caught up. I actually got ahead and yesterday did it. But um, so we're in this, in these books and we get to preach out of those books. So, um, so I got into the book of Mark knowing that we preached on Acts last week. I got into the book of Mark a little bit and thought, you know, what's the word in here for us today? And, um, and this is what I, I came up with, this thought about the miracle of transformation. When you get into the book of Mark, one of the things you start realizing is Jesus is going out there and you just see crowds and miracles, Right? You see crowds of people around him hearing his teaching and being wherever he is and watching whatever he's doing and wanting to be near him and him doing all kinds of crazy stuff. You see him doing miracles. That's what you start to get in the book of Mark. It's cool. There is just story after story. I mean, it's kind of a page turner, isn't it? You're like, wow, that is awesome. Like, I, wow, what was that about? And you want to dig into each little one of those stories, but you see crowds of miracles, crowds of miracles. Crowds love miracles. Crowds love to be near miracles. These people were always flocking to him to see what it was that he was doing because they wanted to be near him. They wanted to, to, be, uh, to be in the presence of this power. That's what it was. But the more I reflected on it, and as I was reading through Mark, and I, again, I got to chapter 11 in the last couple of days, the, the, the more I started re- thinking about it, I thought, you know, it's just not power, friends. The story isn't just power. It wasn't like they were flocking around Jesus to see, like, a magician on the street corner. Like, you're like, oh, that's cool. How'd you do that? I don't know how you did that. That is so cool. Do it again. Like, that, that wasn't how they were reacting. There wasn't just a draw to Jesus because there was power demonstrated or there were tricks being done or there were miracles that were happening. They were actually drawn to the transformation that was taking place. Isn't that a good word, Transformation. Because this gets into the sense that God is doing stuff for his good and for his glory and for the kingdom of God. God's doing stuff that that is transforming. It's God changing lives. And I want to talk about the nature of this transformation. And if we look at the text this morning, it's just a really almost a stereotypical text from the book of Mark. It's in Mark chapter 2. And it's Jesus forgiving and healing this paralyzed man. So let's read the text together and then make some observations, some meaning and some significance and some response as has been our pattern of studying these scriptures during this series about the miracle of transformation. Mark chapter two, starting in verse one. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people had heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So you got to picture this. This is, a, this is a, a typical house in the Middle East, probably got wood floors, it, it, I mean dirt floors. It's a one-room house, 
uh, a window so that there's some light that can get into it. It's got a flat roof, had timbers across the posts that created the, the, the form for the roof. And then what they did is they put thatch on it and then they put mud on it, like almost like adobe. They put like straw and mud so that it was an earthen roof to insulate, keep out the water, insulate uh, heat and cold. And it's just this little one room, we would almost call it like a hut. And all the people were gathered around there to hear Jesus teach. And so many people came that, of course, they couldn't even get near outside the doors, just to see them spilling out, peeking in the windows all around. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, the, the mat the man was lying on. Now, so... Don't, don't just don't go by that so fast. So these guys come, they're like, we got to get near Jesus. They see it. They're like, uh-oh, too crowded. There's no way we're going to be able to do this. And so they go, they, usually there was a ladder to get to the top of the roof. So they get the guy up there, four of them carrying their paralyzed friend. They get him up on top of the roof and they decide, they start digging through the dirt. Can you picture this? It's just a one-room house. It's not like we're all in here and we're like, is something going on out in the lobby? Like, this is right there in the house. And all the people, they're crammed in shoulder to shoulder and sitting. And mud and dirt starts to drop from the ceiling down and onto everybody. And they're like, what is going on? And Jesus is teaching, like, did Jesus stop and go, check this out? Or did he just keep talking like dirt's falling on your head? And you're like, is he going to do anything about this? Like, what is going on here? And they finally dig through the thick earthen and, and thatches falling, and there might be even tiles that were covering, they, and, and they're taking pieces up, and they had to get a big enough hole in the roof to lower a full-grown man down on a mat. Now think about that. He was on his mat, which means he was laying down, so they cut a hole that was like three by four feet or whatever, right? This huge hole. Dirt, mud, everything, wrecking the dude's house. How about the guy who owned the house? So... I just needed to, I wanted us to see that, you know, we kind of read this, we remember the Sunday school story. They dig through the roof, create a hole big enough in the middle of what's going on, lower the guy down. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, the religious leaders knew. Uh-oh. Jesus is claiming to be God. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone, and Jesus has just forgiven this kid's sins, this man's sins. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take up your mat and walk? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, take up your mat and walk? Because the point was, both of them were impossible for a man to say and to do. But both things were entirely possible in the presence of a transforming, powerful God. And so he goes, so which one? What are you, you, know, what are you saying? Which is easier to do? Of course, it's a trick question. They don't know what to say. But I want you to know, Jesus goes on, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, take up your mat. Get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. You think? And they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
the miracle of transformation. See, the reality of it is they weren't just longing to go follow Jesus, these crowds weren't, just to see, just to see tricks, just to see power. They, in their hearts, longed for transformation. In their hearts, they hoped that what they could see was a God who actually made a difference in their lives and stuff changed. People were healed, wounds were bound up, hope was restored, strength was given. Transformation by God is the miracle we're looking for, friends. This isn't a genie that we serve. This is a God who comes and meets us in our deepest longings of transformation. So I want to look at the rest of, this, the, rest of the time we have this morning and look at this text and uh, from this three-fold process of studying the scriptures, meaning, significance, and response. What's the meaning? The meaning is really what we're asking here is let's make some observations and discover what's happening here in the text. What's happening here in the text? And the meaning of this text is that we're, it's a text about the nature of this miracle. It's a text about what actually is happening in this miracle of transformation. It would be super easy to say, if you look really, you know, without looking really close, oh, well, the miracle here is there was a dude who couldn't walk, and now he walks, and wow, like that would be the story. And that's actually true. But it is more than that. It's the nature of this miracle that we want to look at. And because it's, it's about more than a power encounter, more than a miracle happening, it's about transformation taking place. And it's about three different kinds of transformation. So it's really about transformation. It's about transformation physically. There's a physical transformation that happens here, and that's obvious, and that's the easiest one to impress upon people, like, wow, okay, that was huge. Something just happened right there. It's a very cool representation of God's heart, this physical transformation that happened. And that's what healing is in the scriptures. It's always a manifestation of God's heart and God's kingdom that is coming. That's the rule of God, the reign of God, the presence of God with his people. That's what God's kingdom is. And healing is always a manifestation of that. So whether when you read the book of Acts last week, because you all did that in our reading plan, when you read the book of Acts, you saw the apostles got to do miracles. They did miracles because it authenticated that they were God's people and that God's kingdom had in fact come. This was God's heart. See, in the end, when the kingdom comes fully, when you call that heaven or when, 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 when heaven comes, when the end of all things comes, God's kingdom will become full. And when God's kingdom is full, stuff like this will be the norm. There will be no more sickness and no more tears and no more death and no more dying and no more brokenness and no more sin. That'll all, when the kingdom comes fully, that's going to happen. So now we see glimpses of that as a manifestation of God's heart and God's kingdom. You with me? So when you see healing, it's God saying, I want to make a point. This is my kingdom. And it's going to come fully. But right now, here's a glimpse. And here's a shot. Check this out. So there's physical transformation. By the way, why doesn't God heal everybody all the time? And now, I don't know. what I do know is that when it happens, it's God saying, this is my heart, and this is my kingdom, and this is what it looks like, and someday it'll be fully present, okay? So there's physical transformation here, and some of us get physical transformation. Some of us may have had a healing. Some of us may have had a healing like, some of us may have had the healings like, well, I don't know. I got better. I'm not sure how we got better without God or with God. I don't really know. Some of us had a healing where like, I think I got better a little faster with God, like, you know, like good drugs and God. Like that was cool. That, that was a healing. 
And some of us have had a healing where, boom, bam, like totally broken, totally fixed, like, oh my gosh, right? I mean, that's amazing stuff. Doesn't happen all the time, and I don't know why. But physical transformation is a part of God's heart. It's a sign of God's heart. So there's physical transformation. That's part of the miracle, the nature of the miracle physical. There's also social transformation. You may not see this in the initial reading, that there's social transformation. You may not see that there needs to be some social some healing and some, some transformation of God in this social realm. See, because the deal is that in that culture, suffering physically wasn't the only suffering that came. There came when someone suffered physically, either they were disabled or they were sick. It was because, I mean, they, they, it was believed that it was because God's favor had been removed from them in some way. So there was a sin component or a brokenness component to people's suffering. Now, we know in reading the whole counsel of God and the word of God that that's not true. So whenever you get a cold, you're not being punished, right? But, uh, but they, in that culture, had a sense that God's favor had been removed from, from you, that there, had been, there was something defective or sinful about you when you had this brokenness in your life. And so listen, so when there was a healing, there was this manifestation of God where there was social healing that went on as well. If you look at the chapter uh, just before, the story just before this, at the end of chapter one, Jesus encounters a guy who had an infectious skin disease. They call it leprosy. It may have been exactly that or something much like that. And in the translation, we, just, we have the word leprosy. But he healed a guy with leprosy. The reality of leprosy was so powerful because in that culture, when you had leprosy, the law required, and you can go read it, it's in Leviticus 13. The law required that they wear torn clothes, messed up their hair. They couldn't groom themselves. They had to keep one hand over the bottom half of their face, and they had to announce their presence with the words, unclean, unclean. And they were required to live outside of the city alone in isolation. Can you imagine the lack of dignity if that's how you were called to live, that you had to announce your presence to everybody? I'm a mess I'm an outcast. I'm unclean. Do not be near me. No one can be with me. I need to be alone. I am fully messed up. And Jesus came and healed that guy and made him clean. Boom, like that. That wasn't just a physical transformation. There was a social transformation because God now brought him into the relationships and gave him back the dignity in that culture where everybody didn't go, man, God's against that guy, but they were able to be restored in relationship with him. See, everywhere that sin and brokenness happens, friends, there's isolation and separation. Is that not true? You name a sin and we can articulate how it separates us from one another and from relationships, and from community, and from unity. But whenever God does a work of healing, he brings relationship, and life, and joy, and togetherness like this. Isn't that cool? Isn't that true? Transformation of physical is in here. There's a, there's a physical transformation, and then there's a social transformation as well. And then there's also, of course, a spiritual transformation. And this is sort of the, the thing that went against the grain here. He said to this guy in verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven. And then everybody went, bah, you can't do that. You can't do that. Only God can forgive. Oh, oh, you can't say you're God. Like, and now it's game on. But he forgave the guy's sins. And he proved it by the physical healing that he did. He goes, I can do this. Only God can do that. And only God can... Take this, get this guy up and walking, so watch this. Boom. 
I'm God, it's done, he's forgiven. And it's, a, and it's a picture of the nature of this miracle is that there's a spiritual transformation. He forgave sins, that's what Jesus does. We read the stories, we're like, that's cool, Jesus cast out demons, that's cool, Jesus healed a leper, that's cool, Jesus uh, healed a guy who was blind from birth, that's cool, Jesus told that guy to get up and walk, like that is all cool, friends. But the scriptures say in in Jesus' own uh, words from his mouth, yeah, but I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I came to spiritually transform people. There's physical transformation as part of it. There's social transformation. That's part of it. But I came to save people, to rescue them from their sin. Colossians 1.13, Paul says this in summing it up. He says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the light of of the kingdom of the son that he loves. He's taken us from darkness, lost, death, brokenness, into the kingdom of light and found and healing and forgiveness and restoration. That's what he's done. That's spiritual transformation. The nature of this miracle is not that genie boy did a little trick and everybody goes, wow, that's cool. The nature of this relationship with God this miracle that he can do in our lives of transforming God is that it is spiritual as well as physical and social. So that's the meaning of this text, that the nature of transformation is all of these things. And you can't go one without the other. It's what our God does. Now, what is the significance of this? What do we do if that's the meaning of this text, that the nature of transformation is physical, social, and spiritual? What do we do with that? What's the significance of it? And significance, when we study the scriptures, we ask, what's the timeless principles? What's the interpretation of it then? What do I take from what happened there in that house in the Middle East in that day with Jesus of Nazareth? And what do we say about the kingdom of God, about us, about our lives in today's world? So here's a couple of significant things that, um, that we can get out of this. One, we all need transformation. We all need transformation. It's a reminder that we are in the process of being transformed and everybody needs it. Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, I say, you think we're broken people who are separated from God, kingdom of darkness, and need to be brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves. We all need transformation. We need the power of God in our lives for change and for healing and for growth. We need equipping to do what God has for us. We need God's power in our lives. How can we forget and yet we do and we just sort of do, I'm on my own, I go do my life, this is the best that I can do. Friends, no, we need the transformation of God daily in our lives. We need him and it drives our pursuit of God. That is why you are here. You are not here because you thought the music might be especially good or the speaker might be especially great. You are here today because you're like, I need change in my life and I got to encounter Jesus and he's a transforming God. That's why you're here. That's why these guys came. That's why people follow Jesus around. It drives our pursuit of God and that's okay. That's why these guys went to such lengths to get to Jesus. They're crazy men, these guys. It's busy. They're like, oh, maybe we should try to get a ticket on a different day. Maybe a matinee. There'll be less people in the house, you know? They didn't. They were like, okay, next plan. Let's go on the roof and dig a hole, a giant hole in it. Because that won't make Jesus mad or anything. Let's just go do that. They did whatever it took. It drives us this need 
for transformation. Our hearts are longing that God would come through and fulfill our dreams and heal our wounds and give us courage. We need him. And that's okay. I, I think the, the fun part about it is that I think it's so okay because it actually goes against our grain as put together American Christians in this 21st century because we go, you know, I don't want to be the guy who just goes to God whenever I have a need. Yes, you do. That's exactly what you do. We need to do that. That He is a healing, transforming God. He is our king. He is our shepherd. He is our good heavenly father who gives us gifts. Of course we go to God when we need something. That's exactly what we do. We all need transformation. And I'll add this word to this first one. We need transformation wholly. We need whole transformation. We need not just physical, not just social, not just spiritual transformation. They're always tied together and we need all of that. We need God to help us with our bodies and our stress and all the things that go on with the physical world, our interactions and touch and the things we need, finances. That's all part of physical healing and transformation. We need God in every detail of it. We need God in every relationship. That's social transformation. We need God to help keeping us loving people and in relationship of health and boundaries and strength and sacrifice and all those things. And we need God in spiritual transformation all the time. We need all transformation. And by the way, if we wanted to play name the sin or name the brokenness or name the weakness, we could talk about how all three are needed in that thing. This transformation spiritually, socially, and physically. All three are always needed. They're all intertwined. I mean, if we had time, we could just go through that. Here's an easy one. My back went out eight weeks ago tomorrow right? And man, I was all about the physical healing. I called every one of my charismatic friends who believe that God wants to heal right now. Let's do it. I mean, I was all about it. I'd never had more faith. I'm like, get me off the floor, like right now, come on. And I asked God for physical healing and God healed me over time through his power and a chiropractor and ibuprofen and God's glory was awesome. And a couple of weeks I could go to the bathroom by myself, which just restored some dignity. That was good. But when you start to think through the dynamic there, like I want physical healing, but you know, you're on your back, you got some time to reflect. You know what happens too when you're on your back? Those of you who deal with chronic pain know this or just a short-term stuff like I went through. Pain causes a depressive nature. So you withdraw from people. And when you do interact with people, you're not at your best, which means you hurt their feelings. I had all kinds of social brokenness in my physical ailment, right? You get that? You know that, right? And I had to, and my heart should be to be out and with people and for people, and it was shrinking as I was by myself on the floor in self-pity. You know this. There was a social restoration, transformation that had to take place while I was being physically healed. Let's not even go down the spiritual transformation road that I had to deal with the reality of it is somebody who thinks they're a runner, identifies as a runner, is addicted to running, is compulsive about running, and then God said, we're going to take that away for eight weeks. And that does all kinds of a number on you and what your dependence is and where you get your joy. And all of a sudden you realize, yeah, I love running and Jesus and my family kind of in that order. Like that sort of happens, right? Now I got some spiritual healing that I got to do because I've got idols in my life. And I didn't know that until they were taken away. Wow. We could go down through every one. Let's have a volunteer. Come on up. No, we could go down through every one of our lives and see how we need transformation in all of those. Okay. I'm just going to zoom through the rest of this. This is all great stuff though. Transformation. We need transformation holy. Second, we need transformation. There's another significant piece. We need trans- transformation is set in motion by faith. Jesus said, when they dug through and all the craziness was done, Jesus looked at them and said, oh man, 
You guys got faith. He looked at them when he saw their faith, verse 5, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus responded to was their faith. And you see that in all kinds of healing stories. Jesus responds to their faith. A couple chapters later in Mark chapter 5, he heals the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She goes, if I just can touch the edge of his garment, maybe I'll get healed because I think he is who he says he is. That would be awesome. And she does, and she gets healed. And Jesus goes, and goes hey, who touched me? Remember that whole story? And at the end, he turns around and he goes, your faith has healed you. Faith sets into motion this transformation. Faith in Jesus, my friends. Faith is not blind faith. There's no such thing as blind faith. Nobody has ever had blind faith. Faith is based on opening our eyes and seeing something worth trusting that maybe he'll come through, it will work. That's what faith is. Bye, baby girl. It's good to have you for part of it. (laughs) So it's not blind faith. Jesus is responding to faith in him. So somebody who says, maybe if I just touch the edge of his cloak, maybe something will happen. So friends, what do we do with that significance? Well, you look around and you see what God has done in your life to this point. And then you have faith that perhaps he'll do it again. You listen to your friends' stories. You listen to the baptism testimonies. You listen to the scriptural testimony. And you build your faith that perhaps Jesus could work in your life. And transformation begins. The opposite is to go, I don't know if that would ever work for me. I don't know if Jesus can do anything. I'm just going to pretty much do it on my own. And he'll allow you to do that. But if you place your faith in him and what you've seen and heard, it sets transformation into motion. And then faith, this next last one, faith is evident in action. How do we know you got faith? Because you go dig through the roof rather than giving up to get near Jesus. James said, faith without action is what? Dead. You have faith? Put it in play. You think you have faith in Jesus? You want to have faith in Jesus? You want to have more faith in Jesus? You want to put your life out there to be transformed by Jesus? Then take some action to get near Jesus. Some people go, well, I have my faith. I don't really live it out. I'm not really active, but I have my faith. James goes, the demons have faith. They believe in who Jesus is. It's taking the steps of going, oh, crud. All right, here we go. Digging through the roof. Jesus, here I am. What do you have for me? And transformation starts happening. Well, that leads us to our response. So how do we respond to this? Well, when we're waiting and we're longing for transformation, when there's something that we need to happen and we're having to wait for it, we pray out of hope and we act out of faith. We pray out of hope. We cry out to God. We're famous for saying that around here. You got issues in your marriage? You got to struggle physically? You got to struggle financially? We will get on our knees and cry out to God for you. I don't know any, I don't have any other hope. We just... Pray and hope. Come on, God. That's faith in the object of a God who we think might be worthy of our trust, who we think might be faithful to come through. We just cry out in hope. And then we act out of faith. We cry out in hope and then we act out of faith. God, I'm laying on the floor. Heal my back. And I know it's a silly example, but it takes the discomfort out of the room and talking about the more intense things. I, went, I had a whole bunch of illustrations about my difficult marriage, but my wife's right here. So just my back. The... God, heal my back, heal my back, God, heal my back, right? That's my, um, but then he goes, okay, and why don't you do some sit-ups so this doesn't happen again? 
There's an acting out in faith. There's a, all right, I'm going to now go and do what I need to do so that healing can happen in my life. And we go, God, come transform me. Well, you know, let's go dig through some roofs together. Get up. Get out there. Put ourselves where Jesus is. So we pray out of hope. We act out of faith. And responding to transformation, here's a response that we have to have. After transformation has happened, when we look at our lives and we realize what God has done, we have to go, oh man, I got to go say thank you and I got to follow him again. I got to go say thank you and I have to follow him again and then I got to tell the world. That's the response that you see in his Jesus' encounters here. You have the 10 lepers that got healed and only one came back and Jesus goes, oh, that faith, the guy who got healed and then came back while the other nine didn't, he goes, that faith saves you. You may get healed, but this faith rocks the spiritual planets, man. People who say thank you. And then every one of these people who got healed said, and they wanted to follow him down the road. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to follow him now. They wanted to be his servant. Yeah, that's right. That's what we do. When we see that God is transforming us, we go, now I want more of you. I'm with you. I'm with you. You look at Bartimaeus getting healed in chapter 10 of, of Mark, and at the end, Jesus heals him, and the last line is, and, G- and Bartimaeus followed him down the road. That's where he's going. He's following Jesus. He's like, oh, yeah, I could go do this, but um, no, I'm with him. That's what I'm doing, more of Jesus. And then the last thing is, Jesus sometimes didn't tell them, okay, you can follow me. He said, no, you go out and tell the world. You go out and tell the world. I'll close with this. Look at this passage from Mark chapter 5. After he had healed a demon-possessed man, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Of course he did. He was just transformed. Spiritually, socially, physically, he wants to be with Jesus. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm with you. Can I get in the boat? And Jesus wouldn't let him, but said, go back to your home, to your own people, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That's your job after you've seen the transformation of God. As you live in the stream of having more transformation come your way, you just go and tell what the Lord has done. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and then all the people we're amazed. That's our job, and it's a call to ministry at the end of a conversation about transformation. You just live in the stream of Jesus doing his holistic work in your lives and put yourself there in faith. And then in the end, your whole role in the world is just to tell people how good he is and what he's done, and they'll be amazed. I think we can do that. May God continue to transform us and call us to that good news message.